Well, welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra podcast here at jconline.com and through SoundCloud. Uh, Mike Carmen covers Purdue Sports uh, for JC Online and the, the Lafayette Journal and Courier. As we get set to preview Purdue's uh, football game coming up Saturday at Nebraska, big game for both teams as we get later in the season. Um, we're getting to basically do or die uh, situations with some of these teams because they're trying to get to bowl eligibility and uh, the schedule is running out and uh, uh, you know Purdue's got a little bit of a wiggle, some wiggle room, but I'm not sure Nebraska has a lot of wiggle room right now. And joining us today to talk about the Huskers, uh, Chris Bassinet from the Lincoln Journal Star right there, uh, about two blocks from Memorial Stadium is their office. And the, the question I've always wanted to ask somebody that works at the Journal Star, do you guys just park at the paper and then walk to the stadium or how does that work? <laughs> That's maybe the, uh, <laughs> the biggest perk of the job. Is, yeah, there's a, there's a big parking garage right there at the building, like you said, about two blocks away. So we just, we roll into downtown and roll past all the people paying their 30 bucks for parking and, and park at the, <laughs> at the paper and take a little stroll over to the stadium. So yeah, it works out pretty good. Well, we appreciate you doing that because that opens up some media passes for us out of towners. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> all right. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us this morning uh, as we record this on Wednesday. Uh, Chris covers, uh, Husker football and Husker basketball. Main gig is basketball, but, uh, provides plenty of support, uh, on the football beat as that's, uh, that's a huge enterprise, uh, in the state of, uh, Nebraska. So, uh, starting with the football team, uh, as we talked a little bit beforehand, uh, the, the team that played Illinois to start the year and the team that's playing right now, they're completely different teams. So what, what, what transformation has changed for Nebraska football, you know, since those couple opening games, you know, where, where, where have you seen the improvement? And I guess in the follow up to that would be where, what's next for them? What do they need to do to finish this season out so they can possibly get bowl eligible? Yeah, it's that, that Illinois game, it, it has become kind of more inexplicable by the week, uh, I think, with the way Nebraska's played. I, I think it's a couple reasons, uh, a couple areas where we've seen them improve. Defensively, they've been excellent, uh, as good as they've been uh, under Scott Frost. Frost now, of course, in his fourth year at Nebraska. They have a really veteran group there. Um, they've really been really stout against the run. For the most part, um, they've created they've created a few more turnovers, especially the last couple weeks, and, and they've they've been able to make teams for the most part one dimensional, you know, and they've been able to do it against everybody they play. That's that's Michigan, Michigan State, you know, against quality competition, they they've been able to do that for the most part. And then offensively, it's they they've they've got more playmakers around Adrian Martinez, the quarterback. I don't think they were quite on the same page that first game. It wasn't quite clicking like it needed to, but they've, they found some stability at the running back position with Ramir Johnson. Um, Adrian Martinez has really developed a nice rapport with a couple of his receivers, Samari Ture uh, in particular, and Austin Allen, the tight end. That's a lot of the offense, I think, make a few more, you know, big plays, explosive plays down the field, which is kind of what Scott Frost's offense Historically, when they're going good, are known for, and so I think those are the two biggest differences. And you know, as far as what they need to do for bowl eligibility, it's it's pretty simple. Uh, they're they're three and five right now. Uh, they have four games left. 
it, you know, to, depending on what their APR score is, they, they need to win at least two of these last four or three of these last four. And you're playing four really good teams. You start with Purdue. You've got Wisconsin yet. You've got Ohio State at home. And then you've got Iowa at home. So it's, it's tough sledding the rest of the way for Nebraska. But this is a team that has been in, in every game it has played. This year, all five losses have been by one score, and the the record is obviously 0-5 in those games, but they've been there. The the defense has given them chances to win these games, but, you know, as has happened quite frequently with Nebraska over the last few years, there's been a, a couple of big mistakes on offense or maybe an untimely turnover or a special teams gaffe that's has kept them from kept them from getting over the top in those games. So, you know, it's 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 a fascinating question because they're not far off. But then you look at the schedule and you go, whoa, well, maybe they are they, they are far off from from getting to a bowl game. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting next few weeks here in Lincoln. Um, just with Adrian Martinez, he's been around for I think twelve years, uh, <laughs> and we've seen him develop, but we've also not seen him maybe fully develop. To the kind of player that, you know, when, when he came in and what was expected of him. What's your, what's your view of how he has progressed through his career and where has he come up short or where has the development part for him come up short? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know. When he was a freshman back in 1984, as, as you said, <laughs> he, he, he had a, had a great year, had a great freshman year. Um, better than anybody really expected I think and then something happened whether he got too comfortable whether there wasn't enough competition at that position he kind of fell off the next two years he he wasn't great and last year kind of the same thing you know just it, it wasn't sharp but this year got got himself in really good shape trimmed down and Nebraska got more weapons around him too and and that's a big part of it they put so much of their offense on Adrian Martinez and his ability to make plays uh, with his legs, with his arm. And they they really upgraded the receiver position this year, which I think has really helped him. Um, it's allowed him to, to create more explosive plays, both in the run game and the pass game. They've, uh, as I said, they've, they've upgraded. They found stability at the running back position, and I, I think it's just a guy that's another year older too. You know, it's a guy that's in his fourth year of college football. Jokes aside, you know, he's and he's played a lot of games at Nebraska. He started since day one uh, here, and so he's seen a lot of football. He's seen a lot of situations. He's always been a really mature kid. Always had a really good head on his shoulders, and I, I think it's that kind of. Even though he's he's technically not a senior, it's kind of that senior mentality, right? Where you're in your fourth year of football, you know, the end might be close, even though he could come back for another year if he wanted to. And it's just a guy that's really been really been focused in this year. And he still will occasionally make make the mistake that leaves you scratching your head. And he's had a couple of them this year. The the most notable ones being the the fumble late against Michigan that set up the Wolverines game winning field goal. Um, took a safety against Minnesota last week, uh, when Nebraska needed to drive down and get points. So he's still every now and then will make those mistakes that, that if you're a Nebraska fan, you're kind of beating your head against the wall. But at the same time, Nebraska isn't in these games without him. He, he's this team's best player. They, they put a lot on his shoulders. They expect him to do a lot of, and a lot of times he has delivered and he's given Nebraska a chance to win. No, it's our job to ask those questions, like when he fumbles against Michigan, or why did you take the safety? And 
it's just, I mean, what, what, what answer does he provide in, in those situations where there's really no answer that he can provide that's going to appease everybody? Yeah, yeah, and especially in a place like Nebraska, yeah. you're exactly right. Um, you know, I think a lot of it goes back to his maturity, and he talks about just trying so hard to make a play, you know, and he'll never admit it. Uh, because that's the kind of guy he is, but I think he he puts a lot of pressure on himself to make a play. Um, you know, instead of trying to rely on some teammates a little more, he's been banged up in a couple of these games. Certainly, he was at Minnesota, but you know, I think at the end of the day, it's you know, I, I think back to the Michigan game. They they called a run a quarterback run for him just to pick up the first down. Right, yeah. He got it. You know, they everybody in the stadium thought forward progress was stopped, including Adrian with the whistle and <laughs> blowing the ball came out. You know, yeah. it, it was just kind of one of those kind of one of those weird deals. The Minnesota game, a little more inexplicable because they started, <laughs> they snapped the ball from the eleven yard line. And he took a safety in the end zone, and, and so he he does his best to to kind of walk us through why that happens, explain the why, explain the how, and, and that's certainly a, appreciated. But at, at the end of the day, I think it, a lot of it's a guy just trying to make a play and, and put himself in, in some tough spots. Well, you certainly can't blame him for that. And you know, I think probably Nebraska fans do appreciate his efforts uh, as far as physical efforts and trying to make a play. Uh, but for whatever reason, it, it hasn't worked out for, for, for Adrian and and the team because, as you mentioned, Something comes up in every game that kind of prevents them from winning. Yeah. And has, I mean, is that how difficult it is to put your finger on why that keeps happening? Yeah, it's 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 the dangest thing maybe I've, I've seen. You know, in, in covering <laughs> covering sports, been doing this for twenty years, and I think Scott Frost's record in one score games at Nebraska is five and seventeen. So it's just it's a mind boggling number. You know, they they Nebraska's been in position to win games so many times and it's either been you know, it's a combination when you get to that record, of course it's a combination of things. It's you make a, a mistake at a critical time. Um some of it's just flat bad luck, you know, some of it's you know, Nebraska's special teams have been absolutely <laughs> catastrophic <laughs> for the most part <laughs> since since Scott Frost has been here, and, th- and that's that's a whole other topic. But that's cost them a few games. The Michigan State game certainly this year is one of those. So it's yeah, it's it's one of those things that I don't know if you really can put your finger on it. It, it there's just it, it's happened so many times in so many different ways that that it's hard to pin down why. And, and a lot of it goes back to this is a team that. You know, maybe doesn't know how to win, and you hear that that phrase from coaches every now and then. And Scott Frost has said it too. It, when you win games, you know, at the end, you oftentimes will find ways to win. And when you've lost a lot of games, you find ways to lose those games. And it's sometimes just as simple as that. So, yeah, it's 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 a lot of different things. I think I think some of it's Scott Frost's experience as a as a head coach, you know, and as a even going back to his college days, when he played, he played in a lot of blowouts. He didn't play right. in a lot of one-score games. Right. When he took over at Central Florida, played in a lot of blowouts. When he was a coach at Oregon, played in a lot of blowouts. So some of it's coaching experience, too, and just not being in those situations a lot before he got to Nebraska. So, yeah, I, I could ramble on and on and on and on about it, but I think that that probably tells you why. There's really not one thing you can point to to say this is why Nebraska's lost all these games. It's yeah. it's a combination of a lot of different things to get you to, to five and yeah. seventeen in one score games. All right, let uh let's talk about Nebraska's defense and maybe how you think 
they they're going to approach David Bell this week. Uh, you know, obviously there's a there's a bl- blueprint how to do it, and there's a blueprint how not to do it in the last two <laughs> weeks. You know, Wisconsin uh, obviously did enough to keep him under control, where Iowa did the same thing that they've always done for three years, and I think everybody <laughs> saw what happened. Just based on what yeah. you've uh, been able to to glean this week. How much of da- how much is David Bell and Purdue's passing game going to be a priority for Nebraska this week? Oh, yeah, I think it's I think it's priority number one. Uh, certainly, um, you know, talking to a couple of different guys this week, it's they're obviously they've watched the, the game film from Wisconsin and they've watched the game <laughs> film from Iowa and and they saw what Wisconsin did, maybe being a little bit more physical with him, you know, throwing throwing multiple guys at him where Iowa is more single coverage and things like that. So I would certainly expect to see uh, Nebraska's best defensive back, Taylor Britt, draw the assignment on Taylor Be- on, on on David Bell, uh, man-to-man. But he's also going to have plenty of help, too, uh, whether that's rotating a safety over, you know, rotating another corner in that direction. They're, they're going to pay a lot of attention to him. And it's going to be interesting, too, because Deontay Williams, uh, one of Nebraska's six-year players in starting safety, is out this week with an injury. Okay. And the year, you know, you're, you're talking about bringing in a, a younger guy, Miles Farmer, who's played some, but hasn't played a ton, you know, and he's gonna, he's gonna be thrown into the fire a little bit. And so, there, I think there's gonna be opportunities for David Bell there, because there's gonna be a little less experience in the secondary. But at the same time, I think Nebraska really likes what they have on defense. The pass rush hasn't been great this year, but it's been better the last few weeks. Uh, they're not getting a ton of sacks, but they're forcing some hurries and things like that. So obviously you want your, you want your guys to, to get home, uh, in the, in the pass rush game, which we kind of saw a little bit in last year's game too, when Nebraska got off to such a good start in that right. game and, and right. hung on to the end. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you, you recognize that David Bell is a great player, one of the best in the country. He's probably going to make his share of plays and you just do your best to limit him and limit what he does. And if, if you play great defense and he goes up and beats you to a ball and scores a touchdown, you tip your cap and you move on to the next play. I think he's just that kind of player. But yeah, I would expect Nebraska to get, to lean more towards the, the Wisconsin type of game plan than I would the Iowa type right. of game plan. So what's the, I guess, the overriding opinion of Purdue using three quarterbacks in a game from, from the Nebraska side? Well, for, for a fan base that has watched one quarterback for the last four years, I, I, I think it's a little, it's a little odd to see that, <laughs> you know, so, um, it, it's interesting, right? And it's, it's, it's clearly worked. Um, now it maybe didn't work as well last week against Wisconsin, but certainly worked against Iowa and, and helped them win that game. But I, I think, I think the, the media here, I think fans here recognize that that Jeff Brom is is a really creative coach offensively, and he's willing to do a lot of different things and a lot of things that maybe a lot of other coaches wouldn't want to try or wouldn't even be willing to try uh, right. at the end of the day. So I think a lot of it's curiosity more than anything, you know, <laughs> and it's for the reasons we just talked about. Nebraska's essentially played one guy the last four years, and 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 Purdue's doing something that you just don't see very often. So I think a, a lot of us just kind of want to see what, what exactly that's going to look like on Saturday. Yeah. Well, it didn't look great against Wisconsin, but I think that was more of Wisconsin making it not look great, where Iowa, you had the element of surprise, and mm-hmm. um, and I, I was not known to adjust very well on some certain certain situations, but uh, yeah. uh, but it was it was it worked to what they what they wanted out of it that day. I want to get back to kind of Nebraska. 
Uh, we're visiting with Chris Bassnett from the Lincoln Journal Star, uh, talking about uh, Saturday's game and also Nebraska. You know, obviously Scott Scott Frost has been doing this a number of years, and the pre- the, 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 pre- the pressure cooker uh, of Nebraska. Uh, and you got you know Nebraska's got a new AD Trev Alberts who's a you know a, home, a hometown hero type guy. Uh, where I guess where do things stand as far as in evaluating this program? You know what's next? Um, I know Trev has made some statements here and there throughout the year, but kind of from your viewpoint, you know where where do things stand with Scott and kind of the direction of this program right now? Yeah, it's kind of the. I don't know if you call it the elephant in the room, but it's certainly something that's that's hung over this this season from the beginning since Trev Alberts was hired. Like you said, a, a hometown hero, a guy that that played football in Nebraska and, and bled and sweat for this program and, and helped kind of set the foundation for the great run Nebraska had in the '90s. So he understands it. I think on a on a very personal level, he wants it to succeed on a very personal level. I think he wants Scott Frost and this staff to succeed. Um, because he recognizes how much it does mean to Scott Frost being, being a, a, another homegrown guy who, who played for the program. So, and he actually, Trev Alberts actually said last night on his radio show, he was asked by a fan point blank. He talked about pressure cooker. He was asked by a fan last night, is Scott Frost going to be back in 2022? And, you know, he, he didn't really commit yes or no, but he did say, you know, I'm, I'm extraordinarily proud of what Scott has done this year, uh, as far as rebuilding culture and things like that. And he also said, I'm not one to make really broad based statements in the middle of the season. So Trev's a guy that's going to play it really close to the vest. We kind of knew that when he was hired and that, and that's played out so far, but, but it's tough. It's tough, right? Because all these losses, three and five, and you're a few plays away from maybe being, you know, seven and one, six and two. Right. And the, the conversation's totally different. So I think a lot is riding. On these last four games, the the running joke around here has become that that every game is the biggest game of the Scott Frost era. The next, you know, it's this this weekend it's Purdue, next weekend it's going to be, you know, Ohio or, or at Wisconsin or whatever. So that's that's kind of the running joke right now is that every game's a referendum, and and then every Monday's a town hall meeting to talk about it. So. It's, that's just where it is right now. And that's the way it is with Nebraska football. You, you, you nailed it when you said it's, it's a pressure cooker because every single move, every single decision, every single play is under the microscope. And when you're three and five in your fourth year, that only gets magnified that much more. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fascinating time because you look at the record and you look at Scott Frost's record over his four years and it's not great. They haven't been to a bowl game yet. He's, he's under 500. But then you look at this year and the progress Nebraska's made has been clear. You know, they, they were in the game at the end until the end with Oklahoma. Same with Michigan. Same with Michigan State. You know, they, they've, they're not far away, but at the same time, they're not over the hump yet either. So it's, it's going to be, there's a reason Trev Alberts is being paid a lot of money to be the athletic director, and, and this is why. And it's going to be a fascinating next few weeks if Nebraska is able to, A, turn it around and get going, win a couple, three of these games and get to a bowl, or B, you know, do they go one and three? Do they go 0 and four and, and finish with three or four wins? And the decision, I think, becomes a lot more murky. So, yeah, well, well, it's it's tough to pin down kind of what Trev Alberts is thinking right now, but certainly there's a lot he has to look at over the next month or so. I, I would assume the fan base is still – and I may be completely wrong on this. Still, a little bit more of uh, patience because of Scott of, of who Scott Frost is, or has that part of the equation kind of run out this deep yeah, into his tenure? Yeah, yeah. It's it's 
interesting. I, I think it's. I think more and more people have have lost the patience with Scott. There's certainly some of that, and, and I think the, this fan base is smart enough too, by and large, to realize that that Scott walked into a pretty big rebuilding project when he got here. But again, this fan base likes to win, and there's there. That's no secret. Every fan base likes to win, and. It is a, it is more of a microscope here than maybe it is in other places. So I think, you know, if you go on the message boards, of course, there, there's the threads there like there are on every other message board with fire Scott Frost. We need to make a change. And right. to, to me, that's a little, it's, it's interesting to see that just remembering the, the atmosphere when he was hired here and the, and the joy that that brought to this fan base and the happiness. So it's a, that's another kind of variable in this. There's, there, you're right. There's a very significant portion of the fan base. Maybe the majority of the fan base. Athletic directors with with athletic department personnel over the last 10, 15 years that, that I think people want stability and crave stability and you have a homegrown guy in place, you know, why do we need to, why do we need to move, make a move now? But of course there's that, that growing part of the fan base too that says, look, Five and seventeen and one score games. They're three and five this year. It doesn't look good the rest of the year. We've we've got to make a move. We've got to make a change. So that's another dynamic of it. I, I think it's probably leans more towards keep Scott Frost right now, but I think that margin probably shrinks every week with every game Nebraska loses. Right. Well, Chris, great stuff. I did want to ask you just as we get into basketball season, and that's what you that's your main responsibility. Um just and I, I I know it's uh, I know that uh, Nebraska tonight has a exhibition game um, against Peru Peru State. So uh, just what 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 is the um, kind of the snapshot thoughts on you know what Fred Fred's doing there Fred Hoiberg and you know how much of a move do you think that they can make in the Big Ten this year? Yeah, I think they're poised to make a. a small move. You know, and look in the Big Ten, a small move can mean can mean a pretty big jump. Uh, nationally, right? If it, it, you know, if, if I think Nebraska has the ceiling to to get out of that bottom four in the conference and get to that, you know, eight, nine, ten range, the uh, the talent has been upgraded significantly. You know, this is the first year. This is Fred's third year. This is the first year he's really had continuity on his roster. You know, with with several guys back that have started games, and he added a top twenty recruiting class, including the first five star recruit in in program history, in Bryce McGowan. So there's. The talent on this roster is the best it's been since Fred Hoiberg has been here. And, but again, the record is what it is. He's won 14 games in two years uh, at Nebraska and he's, he's playing in a, in, in the toughest conference in the country. So I think, I think the potential is there for Nebraska to make a jump, but, but a lot of it's going to depend on how they do, you know, in the conference. Can they shoot it well? They're one of the worst shooting teams in the country last year. And that's got to improve. They think they've improved that. They've improved their athleticism. They've improved length across the board. So it's it's a it's going to be a fascinating experiment if Fred's able to get this thing going here. And we all know we all know Nebraska, the only Power Five team that never won an NCAA tournament game. Not a history of success with basketball. So Fred has an opportunity. It, it starts tonight, like you said, with Peru State and. and a non-conference schedule that I think sets up well for Nebraska to build some momentum going into the conference season. But yeah, this will certainly and clearly be Fred Hoiberg's most talented team since he's been here. It's just a matter of how that talent translates to the court. It's got to drive him nuts that he has a bad shooting team because he's, <laughs> he's a, oh, he was a tremendous shooter. Oh 
yeah, and I think back the first two years, they were, they've been a, a terrible free throw shooting team. And you're talking about a coach that shot, I think, like 93% career in the NBA from the, from the free throw line. And, right. and it just, yeah, it drives him absolutely bonkers. And, and look, he, he's been very transparent and very upfront. Those first two years, they knew were going to be rough because they walked into to a situation where the cover was pretty bare. And they've kind of pointed to this year as the year they make a jump and they've got guys I think that are proven shooters whether it's at the junior college level or at the division one level so yeah it's it's something where you see Fred kind of rubbing his temples a lot uh, when, when the ball's not going in the hoop because they get great looks but I think at the same time he really likes his guys this year and he really likes what he's got and it's just a matter of seeing what it looks like you know when the lights come on. All right. Well, Chris Bassanet from the Lincoln Journal Star was our guest today on the Boulders Extra podcast. We appreciate his time. We appreciate his his ten uh, month old being patient, <laughs> being somewhat quiet. Although there were a couple oohs and ahs there, uh, I think, uh, which was fine. But uh, we appreciate your time today, Chris. Good luck. Uh, we'll see you on Saturday in Lincoln. Thanks, Mike. Very much appreciate you having me on. Well, we thank Chris for his time uh, this morning on the Boulders Extra podcast, breaking down Nebraska and kind of looking at the overall big picture of where that program is at and what what may happen here uh, at the end of this year. And obviously, there's some games to play out that would determine what would happen. But uh, it's a it's a fascinating place to 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 cover uh, Nebraska uh, because of the interest, the high interest, and how much that fan base uh, desires and needs to have a winner. Um, on a consistent basis. And, uh, you know, they have a very difficult schedule to reach bowl eligibility. Even if they would beat Purdue on Saturday, you're still looking at Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa to finish out the year trying to get two, two wins out of that group. You know, that's going to be, that would be a tough chore for, for any team, let alone a, a team like Nebraska, which has had some problems, some consistency issues. And, you know, and when you get to the end of the game, something bad always kind of seems to happen, and that's always going to enter their mind. But still a very talented team, and they are a much improved team uh, from the beginning of the year. I was able to actually go to Illinois and watch that game against the Illini back in August, and Nebraska did not look like a team that would that would beat a Power 5 team this year, that would struggle, that would get blown out by Oklahoma and Michigan and some of the difficult teams that they were going to play on the schedule. Um, but they turned it around. You know, and you got to credit the coaching staff. You credit the players. Uh, obviously, Adrian Martinez is where everything goes through, and that's something Purdue's going to have to deal with uh, on Saturday. You know, uh, Purdue knows him well. He has played well against Purdue. He played well last year. Um, and this is going to be the first time the Purdue defense has really seen a spread attack where they're, they're going to use the whole field, uh, to get you in one-on-one matchups in space and, and they think that they can win those one-on-one matchups. So Purdue's tackling, which I think has been hit and missed the last couple games, needs to be probably at a, at a pretty high level this week, uh, especially in the open field to be, to keep to keep a four-yard gain from turning into a 20-yard gain. Uh, so they they can't miss tackles in the open field. Uh, and they're going to have plenty of opportunities to make those plays, I think, just based on the way uh, Nebraska runs its offense. And as you heard Chris say, you know, their defense, uh, better. They're getting a little bit more pressure on the quarterback than they have uh, earlier in the year. And that would, you know, that would go right into Purdue's weakness on offense, and that's the offensive line. And still not sure exactly 
who will be available on the offensive line this week. You know, Greg Long and Tyler Witt were two guys Jeff Brown mentioned on Monday as, um, you know, had some sort of injury uh, in the game against Wisconsin, and their status would be determined by uh, what happens in practice this week. He was confident that, that Witt would play. Uh, he, he was optimistic about Long, but, but we'll see. But that's, that, as you know, that, that has been a, a issue most of the year, uh, for Purdue when it comes to running the ball. Is this the lack of winning the line of scrimmage battles, uh, on the offensive line? Um, and, you know, and that's why Jeff Brom has tried this three quarterback system. I, I think, or I shouldn't call it a system, but just the rotation. You know, and I think it's been, you know, the narrative of that has gotten changed a little bit. You know, Purdue can't run the ball traditionally. As it's shown, it can run the ball traditionally, except for, you know, against UConn, which in the end doesn't count. But when they're playing the better teams, they haven't been able to run the ball. They did get good yardage against Minnesota. King Daru did. Uh, but overall, I mean, they're last in the conference. Uh, they're averaging 1.61 yards per carry in their road games. So they're getting nothing really from the running game. And part of this using the three quarterback is just to try to generate something out of the running game. You have two mobile quarterbacks and Jack Plummer and Austin Burton. And, you know, I just think he's trying to, to get five yards here, six yards there, four yards here. Uh, create some different angles for uh, the running game. And when your quarterback runs the ball, you get an extra blocker. Uh, so, I, you know, I think, you know, that that's kind of the whole reason why, uh, you know, they did that is to try to find some some more rushing yards. And against Iowa, you know, Plummer and Burton rushed for 30 yards. That's 30 yards that you wouldn't have gotten if they didn't get in the game. But last week they combined for one yard. So it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't as effective against Wisconsin, as you know, uh, as it, as it was against Iowa. And some of that, as you mentioned on the podcast, was, um, element of surprise. And, um, so, but now you have to take that a step further. If you're going to continue to use three quarterbacks in a rotation, uh, you know, I think they have to let Plummer and Burton throw the ball they have to they have to have the threat of throwing the ball uh because then it becomes really predictable and i i really thought at the end of the wisconsin game or in the second half the the whole thing became predictable of what was going to happen um you know and they ran the option play with Plummer and king daru probably three times too much uh worked against iowa when he got 16 yards but uh wisconsin was pretty keen to it um and you know, and I think a lot of the things that happened last week was just who you played. Um, you know, if you played somebody different, maybe the outcomes are different, and the the production of the running game is a little bit different. But you know, that's just that's the schedule you got to play. So, uh, you know, Jeff mentioned earlier in the week that he'll still use three quarterbacks. Uh, I would anticipate him doing that, but obviously Purdue has to clean up the turnovers. Uh, Aiden O'Connell can't have. The turnovers that he had in that game uh, against Wisconsin that cannot carry over. Uh, Purdue's just got to play a much cleaner game, um, and they have to clean up some other areas as well. But but offensively, um, you know, they're just not going to get a running game in the traditional sense. So, what do you do 
to help that along. And I think Jeff Brown's trying to do that a little bit. Is there another step with the three quarterbacks or is there another step that can be taken where maybe you're using the wide receivers a little bit more and maybe some jet sweeps, um, and things like that. You know, I'm sure they've run through the whole, uh, gamut of, of potential plays and, you know, possibilities. Uh, but they, but they, this running game has really, you know, it keeps taking steps backwards, uh, throughout the year. And it's something they, they paid a lot of attention to in the off season and it's still not fixed to the point. Now Purdue's never going to lead the Big Ten in rushing. Okay. And it just can't be last. And that's where they, that's where they are. That's where they've been. And somehow they have to get out of that, whether that's, you know, developing better offensive linemen or getting transfer portals, offensive linemen, getting better backs. It's, it's probably a combination of, of everything, but they have to be better at running the ball. They, and again, they don't need to be first in the Big Ten because they'll never be first in the Big Ten. But they have to have a balanced attack. And they, they can't, they can't attack a defense if all they're doing is dropping eight and rushing three or dropping seven and rushing four. And, you know, there's just, there's not a lot of room to move. And, you know, Wisconsin made Purdue one dimensional. I think Purdue makes itself one dimensional because it can't run the ball. So it's not that hard for a defense to do that. And I would expect Nebraska to do the same thing. I would expect Nebraska to kind of drop as many as they can and then feel like they can, they can get home, uh, and rattle the quarterback with four, with four guys. Um, and I think that's probably the blueprint most teams are going to apply to Purdue, uh, knowing that they, um, their struggles in running the ball and, but you have to, you have to do it at some level. You just can't ignore it. I, I, Joe Tiller did one game when he had Drew Brees throw 80-some passes at Wisconsin. So uh, that that would be the other step. You know, do you just say, we're not going to run the ball, we're just going to throw it 60 times? You know, the, uh, there's there's worse things to do, uh, but we'll see how it all plays out. You know, maybe this is a week they do get some yardage uh, out of their running game and they're able to – open some things up out of, out of the passing game, but you know, we'll see. It's been a season long struggle. I don't, I don't anticipate it changing, uh, just on a whim coming up this Saturday or throughout the rest of the year. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, uh, going to be a problem. All right. That's uh, going to wrap it up today for the, 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 the podcast. Uh, as we preview the Purdue Nebraska game, um, we'll be back afterwards after Saturday's game with a recap, uh, what we saw, what we think, uh, what we know and what we don't know, uh, after, uh, you know, if Purdue can get this win, that would, that would definitely, uh, vault them going into November with an opportunity to get bowl eligible uh, a little bit sooner. Uh, you know, it gives them a little bit more margin for error as they get into a, a two week stretch of playing Michigan State and Ohio State. Um, but, you know, just there's a lot of football left. Um, you know, Purdue is still in a, in a pretty good position, but, you know, can't avoid, they need to avoid losing, you know, getting on a losing streak here and taking it up into the final two games, needing to win those two games to get bowl eligible. So they need to, they need to sneak a game out here, game or two out before they get to that point, uh, just to give them a little bit more, you know, 
uh, allow them to feel comfortable about what, what may happen at the end of the year. All right, well, we appreciate you stopping by, and uh, and, and have a good day.